Welcome to the Make Learning Magical podcast. I am your host, Tisha Richmond. On this show, I chat with educators and thought leaders from around the world to hear stories of how they are transforming teaching and creating unforgettable learning experiences because we all have our own special magic. Welcome to the Make Learning Magical podcast. Today, I have the opportunity to chat with an amazing guest, Dr. Brandon Beck. Brandon is a national board certified teacher, a speaker, a consultant, a professor, and the author of the soon-to-be-released book, Unlocking Unlimited Potential. So happy to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you. I am excited. I'm a fan of the show, and I am also just excited to be here. So you are on the other side of the United States in, is it Rochester? I'm in Westchester County, New York. So I am about 30, I'd say about 15 miles outside of New York City. Okay, wow. So that is just like a whole new world from where I am in in Medford, Oregon. My sister lived in Long Island for about seven years. So I was able to go out to New York a few times and experience the culture, it's a different culture out there on the East Coast. Than the yeah, West Coast. It's, a, it's a different world. It's, you know, there's a lot of states really close together. I can drive, you know, through four, three or four states in a matter of hours. It's, so it's a, and each state is a, is a lot, is a little different. And, you know, especially now during this pandemic, each state has its own rules. So it's very interesting where, where we are and, and, but it's a beautiful place. I, I love where we live. I'm, I live, uh, right on, near the Hudson River. So it's a nice river town. And I live in what's called Sleepy Hollow, oh. which is, you know, the famous place. And so I love where I am right now. And it's a it's a great place to teach, a very diverse area as well. That is amazing. Now, did you grow up in that area? So I grew up in New York, but I grew up in upstate New York. So about grew up about three hours away from where I live right now. Um, but yeah, I, I moved out here after college. I went to college in New Hampshire. So I kind of moved around a bit and uh, it was just, uh, I landed here and and it's been just an awesome journey. I was fortunate to, have, you know, I taught in an inner city school for a year and then in the Bronx. And then after a year, I landed in an awesome school district and I'm really excited to be there and I'm still there today. I am teaching uh, a, I'm a fifth grade elementary teacher. I call myself a monolingual bilingual educator. So I am a dual language teacher in an English zone, which basically about 10 years ago, there was a dual language program working its way into fifth grade and they were looking for volunteers. And I raised my hand and said, I would, I would do it, not really knowing what I was going to getting myself into. And I'm really happy I did it. And uh, I took a, I took a leap of faith and I couldn't have been more proud to do it, especially in the district that I happened to teach in. There's about, I would say, we're up to almost 57% Hispanic Latino. Mm -hmm. So it's a very diverse district. And it really helped me connect with the community and really get a a nice understanding of this community that's literally 10 minutes away from my house, but just so very different. And so it's been an awesome opportunity to be there. That's, That's fantastic. You know, my husband... Uh, taught in a dual language program when we first moved to Oregon. That's actually what got him a job. It was there was a hiring freeze in Southern Oregon when we moved up from Southern California, and uh, they hired. I think only I think they only hired one or two teachers that year, and it just happened that my husband was was hired because of his 
um, experience in language. And he had taught in a dual language program in, in Southern California. And that was at the kinder, kinder first grade level. So. Wow. Yeah, they're growing. I mean, they're growing rapidly. And, and you know, I love the, 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 the whole idea behind it and the theory behind it. And I've just seen kids from, you know, from both sides, from the, you know, from the, the monolingual home to the English speaking home to the Spanish speaking home and to families that are even kid, raising kids that are multilinguals. Mm -hmm. It's just really interesting. The whole idea that the culture piece to it too mm -hmm. is just really astounding. And, and it's a fascinating experience. And I'm just really glad I took the, the chance because I, I haven't left. And so I've been there and I've, I've stayed in that position and I've really loved that position and it's been just a really rewarding experience for me. That's fantastic. So when did you learn, you know, language? Was that something that you were passionate about early on or did, you know? This is a, okay. This, this is a great question. So I don't speak Spanish. Oh, okay. So that's, that's the, that's the, the kicker. That's why I'm, I consider myself a monolingual bilingual educator oh, okay. and it's a funny story. So I actually, like I said, I volunteered for this position and as I had been teaching the dual language program for a couple of years, um, I got the opportunity to present at a conference. And what I did for this conference is I kind of spoke to my district and I said, you know what? I just really love this program. I want to create a documentary about mm -hmm. it. And so what I did, it was coming up on like the 10th year of the program. Um, it had like over like 700 kids that have been through it at this time. And I created a documentary and I took it to the New York State Association of Bilingual Educators. And I, I went and presented at this the, for my first time presenting at this conference. I've been back a bunch of times since. Mm -hmm. And I get into this conference and there is just like gurus of language learning everywhere. Just all these big names. And the guest, the, the keynote speaker was a woman by the name of Felia Garcia, who's out of the City University of New York. And she's kind of just one of the biggest names in that realm. Yeah. And I'm listening and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to her talk. And she keeps, re everybody in the room is referring to themselves as bilingual educators. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm just sitting there thinking and, and I'm kind of listening. I'm like, I'm not a bilingual educator. Like I don't speak another language. How can I be a bilingual educator? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, like it kind of dawns on me, like right before I get ready to present this documentary that I had gone and I'd been teaching dual language for about five years at this point. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden it dawns on me and I'm like, wait a minute. These kids that I'm teaching, they're learning languages, both languages. I'm using what I know about. I'm using what they know about Spanish. I'm using what I know about their culture. I'm using all of that. So I am a bilingual educator and I like stand up in front of the, the, the group. And I'm like, I am Brandon Beck and I'm a bilingual educator. And I just realized it today. And they're, everybody looks at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, it totally took me on a whole new realm because it took my right there. And then I actually took the I was in the doctor, a doctorate program at that point. And I was focusing on a totally different topic. And like that day, I changed my topic to focusing on this area of English language learners, because number one, I wanted to learn more. And number two, I wanted to find out if people out there, there were other educators out there that felt like I did. Mm -hmm. And, and that lack of self-efficacy that I had in myself and just not realizing that what I was doing was really beneficial. 
and that what I was doing was really was really the, a lot of the right things as I was listening at that conference. Mm -hmm. And so I changed the, the whole title. I changed everything. I flipped the whole dissertation on its head. I kind of started over and I focused my, I ended up studying the title of my dissertation was basically focusing on the influence of how the influence of teacher perception on their preparation to teach language learners. So basically, how do you feel about teaching language learners? And that was what I wanted to find out. And it led me on this whole journey of self-efficacy. And that was back. I defended that back in 2017. And I always put a lot, put aside some pieces of this. And I'm like, I did all this work. I'm going to use some of these pieces in a book someday. Wow. And leading into your book, <laughs> is that what Unlocking Unlimited Potential is all about? So that's funny. So that's part of it, right? Okay. So the book that's coming out, it's being released by Codebreaker this month. Okay. I'm really excited about it. And um, the book I had been since 2017, since I defended my dissertation, I had been like taking notes and putting all these pieces into like different folders in, in my in my Google Drive and just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to write a book and writing here and there and everywhere. And the book Unlocking Unlimited Potential is basically about the whole idea that inside of us is this infinite power. Mm. And inside of us is this infinite power, power that once we unlock that infinite power, that we're able to unleash it on all those we serve. Mm. And it's broken into three parts. And the three parts are it starts by building the foundation. So your growth mindset, your why, your social emotional learning, you know, understanding core values. And then the second part is using challenges as opportunities to grow. And that's where I talk about being a teacher of language learners. That's where I talk about how culturally responsive teaching is our future. That's where I talk about COVID. I have about nine different authors that sent in different reflections from the COVID period. And the third part is taking all of that and believing in you. And that's wow. the book in a nutshell right there is how that all kind of came into fruition. Wow, that sounds amazing. And and it's coming out in just a short amount of time, right? Just in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a labor of love. So it's funny because at the beginning of this pandemic, I had been I had been shot I had been saying I was writing this book. I probably had like three or four chapters written, but when the pandemic started, it was like, all right, now I'm gonna I'm gonna really focus in on something. I'm gonna really focus in on on putting together a plan. Mm -hmm. I I'm a huge reader of Tony Robbins, Brene Brown, Rachel Hollis, um, mm -hmm. Jack Canfield, all those personal development authors. I love them, mm -hmm. and I've been reading them for years. And I was always saying that I would use a lot of their work and tie it into some of the work, the the academia research, a little bit of that. But also, I it wasn't gonna be something like a dissertation because. It's probably one of the most boring things you'll ever read in your life. I wanted it to be something that was exciting, that was full of other people's stories. You know, guys like Sal Khan from Khan Academy and Michael right. Phelps and and all these other great stories and just kind of tie that all into what I was talking about. And so I kind of took all of that and I started to kind of put together some more writing. And as I started to write some more I started to reach out to some authors and I had literally like no followers at the time. I wasn't even like on Twitter. I didn't even know what a Twitter chat was. I, I was just like, I didn't know what any of these things were because I wasn't like in this realm. And I started reaching out to a couple, I started doing some research on, on publishers and I started to reach out to a few. I heard back from some and some just kind of, you know, eventually I landed on Brian Aspinall over at Codebreaker and 
he got on a phone call with me and we had an awesome conversation and I loved everything that he was trying to do and that he was doing in his organization and with his team of authors that he was trying to put together. And that's what I loved about it. There was a team of authors that really I'd met kind of in that time that were like a family and the got off the phone call, had a contract in my mailbox and the rest was just history. Wow. That's an incredible story. And isn't it amazing? Just the whole, uh, the writing process, because I never imagined that I would write a book that wasn't something that was, that I even had in my thinking like six, seven years ago. It wasn't even, didn't even cross my mind that someday I would write a book. But it's so wonderful when you are so passionate about um, something that you are actually able to put that into words and be able to share it. It's like your manifesto, you know, it's like everything that, that you believe in and you're passionate about, you're able to share it out in a way, you know, in a story that you hope will resonate with someone, you know, that it's, it's an amazing journey. And there's so many, I mean, like educators, I mean, I always say this to every teacher that I know, I'm like, you could write a book. I was like, we could all write a book. Everybody could sit down and write a book because there's 9 million things that we have all experienced that nobody could ever make up. And the stories are just endless. And, you know, I've always said that to people. And I don't know, to me, I just felt like I'd been in the career, you know, I'd been teaching for 17 years. I also have, I'm also a coach, a soccer coach. I've also have that side of it. So, I mean, a lot of the days I would leave school and I'd go and coach on a field with kids mm-hmm. and be on a field with high school kids and, and have, be an educator like all day, every day. And, you know, just taking that, it was important for me because I, I hit a point, you know, kind of at the beginning of this pandemic too, where I was like a little bit worried. I was a little frustrated. I was wondering like, what, what's going to happen with education? Where is this going to go? Like, what is this really going to look like? I was a little nervous. I was scared like everybody else. Yeah. And I, this gave me so much power. It gave me so much, it gave me so much passion to connect with all these other amazing people. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these great people in the Twitter verse, most of these people I've never even met in person, <laughs> you know, because I can't. <laughs> exactly. No, I've experienced the same thing. I mean, when I, you know, started getting connected as an educator, um, it was like this whole world opened up and I was able to communicate within Twitter chats, you know, and um, just in a number of different ways, Voxer, I had never heard of Voxer before. And all of a sudden here I'm engaging in conversations with educators. And it's so inspiring when you can connect with people um, from different places that, that share that same passion for education, maybe passionate about different aspects of education, but share that same passion and fire. And it just inspires you, but it also challenges you to continue to grow, to not remain stagnant, you know, in, in your field. And what's, what's amazing, I think for me is I was connecting on Twitter. I was having these virtual conversations and then eventually I started going to conferences and I got to meet these people in real life. And when you get to meet them in real life, you feel like you've known them for years because you've been, you know, chatting in the in the Twitter sphere. Like pen pals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, uh, you you see him. I remember um, Brian Aspinall, in fact. He, um, I just had gotten it done with a session. I think it was at, it might have been at FETC in uh, Orlando. I think it was there. 
And I got into my session and he's sitting in my audience and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I recognized him, but I had never met him in, in real life. So um, yeah, really amazing journey. And I, I'm wondering because I know when I was writing my book, uh, it was interesting, that whole writing process, you know, finding time for one. I mean, you're busy, you're teaching, you're coaching soccer. Like, where do you find the time to sit down and write? Was it something where you you dedicated time every day to, or did you have these bursts of inspiration where you sat and you wrote uh, lots of Yeah, and then- there is, everybody has their own thing, right? So I'm a late night warrior. So I I would stay up late nights. And that's how I kind of completed my dissertate, my doctorate program in two and a half years. Like I was committed. I wrote down on a piece of paper at the beginning of the program, May 2017. And I was like, I'm getting it done. Yeah. Um, for me, honestly, I did a couple things. And one thing that I did, like I said before, I was, I'm a huge fan of Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. And I, at the beginning of all this, I invested in, in a, in a life coach and in a results coach through Tony Robbins. And it changed my life. Um, and I meet with him on the phone. He's in California. I meet with him for 30 minutes a week on the phone, three times a, a month. And we just sit down and we write up all these plans. And it was like, all right, Brandon, you're going to, you need to write this book. So, all right. So why do you want to do it? You know, connecting your why and then, all right, well, here's the massive action plan. So if you really, really, really want to do it, and that's really what you want to do with your life, then this is what you need to do. And it was, it was kind of like aligning your why and aligning your purpose just takes away the whole idea of like a to-do list, you know, and it's not like, it wasn't something I had to do. It was something that I wanted to do because I, I, I played it out in my head and I had a plan of action and, and I kind of walked through that and it was like, all right, I'm going to do this chapter here. And, and it all happened kind of really quickly. Cause I was, I was about halfway done with the book when I got the contract, when I got the deal. Um, and that was something that I had learned from a fellow author friend of mine. He's like, Brandon, he's like, I've written books before and I haven't even written the book. And I just put together a proposal and I've gotten, I've gotten contracts. And I was like, well, I don't know if I want to do that, but I was like, I'm just going to keep writing. And I started just, all right, let me send it out to some publishers. Mm -hmm. And then as I, then as I got going, it was like, all right, I started to speak to more authors and more authors. And I started to get all of these ideas. And as I got these ideas, I just kind of kept writing and writing and writing and, once I got the contract, I was, it was like really fine tuned. Like I'm going to do this, this month, this month, this month. And it was like, I had it all kind of lined up with my coach. So having somebody to keep me accountable was key. Wow. So what prompted you to get a life coach? Was that just because you had, you know, been reading and, and listening to Tony Robbins that that just idea came to your head or yeah, I've also been interested in doing it myself. Oh. Um, and so I'm, I, like I said, I'm, I'm a like crazy Tony Robbins fan. I listen to his audio, his audio cassettes. Well, now they're you know CDs. He calls them cassettes still. <laughs> um, and I've always just been intrigued by those kinds of books. And you know, even like Rachel Hollis wow. and, and her journey is just really amazing. And just watching the journey that they've come on and this idea of being a speaker. And my, my expertise is in education that so kind of being able to tie both things together and, and be that kind of, you know, that result coach for schools and for teachers and for just everybody that's out there. And even for my students um, is really where this is all kind of gone. And so just, I knew I wanted someone to be accountable. 
I needed someone to, to kind of walk me through this. And it was the, the smartest decision I made because uh-huh. like I said, it, at some days I, I have homework every week. Like there's something I have to do. And if I don't do it, he's like, you didn't do it. We got to, you got, we got to reconfigure this. And I, like you said, I think it was important for me to do that because I, I am so busy and I wanted, you know, I really wanted something. And I really, if you want something, you'll find ways to get it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you were talking about connecting to your why, you know, initially, and that that is so important. And then to be able to actually, you know, put that that plan to action, you know, really focus on what it is you want, why you do what you do, what what it is you want, want to accomplish, but then having a plan to put that into action. And I think so many times we we all have things that we want to do, but we don't have a great plan to get there. And that accountability yeah. piece too, to have somebody that is is challenging you and pushing you and making sure that you stay on track, just like working out, you know, having those people right. that can say, yeah, have you, what was your workout this week today? Or, you know, have you ran this week? I know that I have um, appreciated people like that in my life. And, uh, yeah. and it doesn't have to be someone you pay. I mean, it can be a friend, it can be a, an accountability partner, a, an administrator, a teacher, a colleague. And, but just really like, I have, you know, like, I know some people who have like a friend that they call every morning and they talk for like 10 minutes and it's like, what are you doing? All right, good. What am I doing? All right, let's do it. And then we'll talk about it tomorrow. You know, there's just simple ways to do that, to help each other out. Yeah, no, that, that is fantastic. And I would think that this just based on the, the three parts that you were talking about in this book, it seems like this book would appeal to all educators. Like you write it to a specific you know, just to the teacher, can it be applied to really any role that you have in education? That was the biggest part for me. I I wanted it to be something that was reader friendly, exciting and fun to read a little bit entertaining as well. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I also wanted it to be for everybody for, and I use the word all the time. I don't use the word teacher much in the book, much in the book. I use the word educator Yeah, and we're all educators, you know, and even parents too, you know, we are all educators. Anybody, even people that are not teachers can get something from the book. Maybe not every single chapter, but definitely there's, there's a lot that can be pulled out of the book. Yeah. Um, and I'm a product of two retired teachers, my mom and my dad, they were 35 and 37 year long teachers. So I kind of, like really leaned on them from their experience. You know, I, my mom as well, I leaned on her for her experience. I'm like, Hey, would you read this? And she's like, I would definitely read that. Not just because she's my mom, but she's also, I think she's a pretty darn good educator. That's, that's so, that's so awesome. I was wondering, you're talking about how you have some different stories in your book uh, based on like COVID right experiences that people have dealt with. I would love to talk about that for um, a little bit because you are teaching right now. You have been um, in the midst of this pandemic. I would love to hear, first of all, what that looks like for you, because we're on, like I said, opposite sides of the United States. And that's just fascinating to me how we're all in this. We're we're all in this time of, of global pandemic. And yet we all are doing this slightly differently. And And so I'd love to hear about that and then kind of hear about you know, the stories that you put in your book about this, this time in our history. Yeah. Awesome. So the, 
I'm currently teaching in a hybrid model. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have seen students since day one, which has been awesome. It was really an epic opportunity. uh, The first day of school to actually see students in the classroom after 180 plus days, a full school year of being away from them. Um, So that's been fantastic. So I do have them in front of me. I, and, and what I've learned is every school does it a little differently. Even my own children's school, every school in every state does it differently. Everybody has their own kind of way of walking through this, which is kind of unique and also cool at the same time. Um, it's kind of a little bit more special in my opinion to make, you know, kind of the, the silver lining in, in this situation. Um, but I teach students in front of me in class. And I also teach students on the computer at the same time, which was pretty crazy at first. Mm-hmm. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I am totally, um, I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm happy to see them. I'm, I'm fortunate. You know, I have great educators around me. What's happened as of late, because we're heading into the winter months, there's more sicknesses. So some people are starting to pull their kids out. So I have like three or four kids maybe in front of me and I have 15 or 16 at home. Um, okay. And so it's, it's just changing a little bit, but we have, our school has been really great. They created testing centers um, because they came up with a rule that like, once we had a certain number, we had to do testing. Staff had to be tested up to like 20 percentile. Um, So they, including students too. So they set up testing centers and like, you know, God willing, the community all was followed up and a lot of, they, they were able to test like over 600 kids in like three days to stay open. So so far, so good. And yeah. uh, they changed some rules around. So it's a lot easier for us to stay open as long as there's some parameters in place. Right. So I'm curious because we're we are full remote in Oregon. We have been able to bring in some students for limited in-person instruction, you know, small cohorts of kids with, with certain guidelines for that. But how do you determine who is brick and mortar and who is online? And does that flip-flop? Or is that based on comfortability? It flip-flops. So they they have like, there's group A is in okay. for Monday, Tuesday. I forgot that part. Wednesday okay. is full remote. And then Thursday, Friday is group B. Gotcha. So they do flip-flop um, as well. And there's some classes in the building that are 100% remote. Okay. Um, so there's about like four or five classes in the building that have that too, where those families all said at the beginning of the year, we're going to keep our kids home through January. And those teachers had to stay in, teach those kids in a full remote situation. Right. Now, was your district um, using like a learning management system or anything prior to COVID or how have you navigated that? I mean, I always use Google Classroom since like it came out. I always used it. Um, But we were all, we were a Google district. And so Everybody was kind of using Google. Everybody has a classroom. Everybody used it a lot more frequently. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I was always comfortable with that part of it. And so I was kind of glad. And my students were great with it when it happened in March. Like we were good to just flip a lot of some, some classes needed like real training and, and we did our best to make it work. Yeah. So what does that look like when you have, you have your brick and mortar students and then you have these, these kids that are online? I mean, Classroom management can be challenging anyway, but I can't imagine like trying to teach these kids that are, you know, live in your in your room and then having to engage the kids that are on the computer. Like what strategies have you used to bridge the worlds together? 
I'd love to say I have all the answers and I'm learning still something new every single day, but thank God that Google came out with breakout rooms. So when they came out with breakout rooms, it was amazing. So it might be that I'm teaching kids in front of me and they see me. So I, and the kids in the class on the computer see me. So they see me give like the mini lessons, so to speak. And then I'm kind of following up. I can group them. They can group with each other remotely so the kids in class can get onto breakout rooms with the kids at home and then I can pop in from my desk and like pop in and and go into the breakout rooms and I can bring them all back together that's one thing we use a lot of uh, Flipgrid we use Pear Deck um, a lot of Nearpod as well Um, but it's 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 a work in progress Um, there's a lot of teachers in my building that do it a lot better than I do and I'm just I learn from them and I try to I try to learn as much as I possibly can, but I also try to keep it as authentic as I can too, because, you know, one thing that my school district did, which I think was pretty cool this year is they gave us like 45 minutes a day to just have for what was called like community building, which would be focused on SEL. And I find that as like a really sacred time. So I think that's like really important. And I think that's something that came out that it took us a pandemic to to realize we really needed to dedicate uh, a slot of time to that. Um, And I think that's the silver lining. And that's what the chapter in my book, it's the chapter of my book in my book is called when one door closes, a virtual one opens. And it's all it's all. And what I didn't write it. So what I had is I had other authors and other superintendents and teachers and principals and professors and consultants, you know, guys like Jonathan Alshimer, Brian Aspinall. Um, Dave Schmidto, uh, Pav and Che Cheney from the Staff Room Podcast, a podcaster, um, and you know a couple other people as well, Darren Pepper, Frank Redneski, who submitted basically their reflections on the time, which I think was really cool because it was cool to see a superintendent's take in Colorado and then a a college professor and speaker's take in Canada, and you know just to kind of see a, a teacher in Virginia. Um, how how they kind of reflected on it. It was one of my favorite chapters to put together because it gave me the opportunity to really kind of like put all the pieces of the puzzle together of all these like really great minds. Yeah. And it was just great for me to see and to read and to be able to go through because I was able to see like, man, things are crazy everywhere. <laughs> right. We're not definitely not alone in this. We are yeah. all in this together for sure. I would love to hear a little bit more about that community building. What does that time look like? Yeah. So for me, I use it as like a very structured time where we're working on a different element of either SEL curriculum. I have a couple SEL curriculums that I use, Mm -hmm. or I use it as a time to do this character education. And one thing that I've been really sticking to this year, like hardcore was um, this piece about goal setting. Mm -hmm. The idea that, that, I mean, I teach 10 and 11 year old kids and, and I teach in a curriculum and the curriculum's like, oh, have the students set goals in their reading and set goals in their writing. And it's like the next day, it's like, all right, keep going and remember your goals. It's like, wait a minute. Mm. You don't set a, set a goal in five minutes and then just keep rolling. Like goals are a never ending process. Like right. smart goals are really key. And I use this method from Tony Robbins called the RPM, the rapid planning method that I kind of described a little bit. And it's all about taking the goal, taking a goal, a result, matching it to the purpose and then matching it to the massive massive action plan. And, and 
And I really have been like committing to that and like getting kids to put up, like they get like a certificate and they write on a certificate when they accomplish the goal and we celebrate it and we put it in the classroom and just, you would be amazed how long it takes with 10 and 11 year old kids to actually realize what a goal. Cause they're like, Oh, I want to get better at writing. Oh, I want to get better at reading. And it's like, wait a minute, reading and writing are just jar- gigantic things. Like, what do you want to get better at reading? Okay, well, now you know, all right, well, I want to get better at reading and completing books. All right, well, now that you want to get better at completing books, now we got to set like a realistic expectation. What's the time you're going to set to that? How, how long is that going to take you? Okay, I want to read, you know, three books this month. Okay, so that means book one, you're going to read 20, it's 200 pages, you're going to break it down. So getting them to break it down into manageable steps along the way is to me like that is what is needed more than anything right now, because these kids, they leave you after two days and they go home. So if they don't have like goals and they don't have like specific steps and action plans in front of them, they're going to be left to their own devices because when they do go home, you know, their parents are working and their parents are, you know, busy. And it's still kind of our responsibility to have them on the computer kind of all day. It's like, you want to make sure that they have some structures in place to not only be successful in your classroom, but be successful in life. Absolutely. And I think about those kids. I mean, how, how I wish I had that skill set, you know, at a young age, I wish someone would have taught me how to set those goals. Because thinking about, you know, now, as I'm in my 40s, um, you know, I still struggle with that sometimes. And I think you are really setting these kids up for success. You are teaching this at a young age. And just think about how that's going to carry with them throughout their their lifetime. That's going to be something that is just going to become part of what they do. I think that that it's so amazing and so important, you know, for us to be able to help our kids with that at a young age. Yeah, I mean, that's the hope, right? And and where did I learn this? I learned this from my own work with my own coach and with my own reading and what I've learned. And I actually even put this skill in my book as an example, like, in, and, and kind of listed it out for a teacher or a principal or anybody to use with their students. And, you know, I, I, I just feel like it's important. I, you know, just like the same as important as every teacher should have a purpose statement. Yeah. And that purpose statement should be like on their classroom wall somewhere. And it should be like read like the and you should be like tapping it every day like the Notre Dame football players do before they go on to the football field. Like it's it's something you should stand with every day and like just root yourself in. Because if at the end of the day, when all this craziness happens and when all these problems happen, because they will happen, yeah. if your purpose is clear, then you're going to be able to see it in a more positive mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I know. As you say that, I have my why. I have my little, um, I have my wife yeah. here in my in my journal and I do the same thing. I have it posted in my office. and That's awesome. That's a, such an important skill. It, yeah, no, it, it really, it really is. I think that's fantastic. So um, I'm wondering in this time of, of COVID, we all are having to find ways that we can just kind of take care of ourselves and manage the stress and all of the uncertainty. And, and I know you love, I know you love soccer. You have an amazing soccer background. Is that part of your self-care? What do you do just to take care of yourself? And yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's part of my self-care. I mean, I'm a, I'm a soccer coach. Um, I also run a, a soccer organization and, you know, I also am a, a a professional instructor for the United States Soccer Federation. So I do also give coaching education to coaches as well as education to teachers um, and students. 
So yeah, that's definitely part of it. But for me too, it's, it's, you know, being able to exercise as much as possible, exercise every day, whether it be a, a 10 minute walk or a 20 minute run or a CrossFit class. Um, mm-hmm. So I, anything like that is important because, and if I can, if I can stick to some sort of habit and stick to some sort of schedule of having these kind of things that I do on a regular basis, it really makes the most sense. But also, you know, there's so many different things like having authentic relationships and and being able to, you know, to be connected to people is important. Being able to, you know, have time with my wife and have time with my kids and have time with my family and be able to take the phone and put it down and, and just kind of be, it's challenging during this time because everything is on a phone and everything is on the, the internet. And, you know, so it's, trying to kind of just isolate those times and stick to them and be committed to them is what I've kind of tried my best to do. And it's not perfect. And every day is not perfect. And, and give yourself that grace, give yourself that grace that like, no, you're, you may not, you may not, you may have an awesome day on Monday. You're going to try really hard on Tuesday. And if Tuesday didn't go that well, like don't kill yourself about it and just keep moving and go on to Wednesday. Yeah, absolutely. I have found the exercise piece for me has been so, so important. I think partly just because you just want to get outside, you know, for so running for me has been huge. Uh, I run, you know, three or four times a week. But you mentioned CrossFit. I just started doing CrossFit uh, in October and oh you must love it i do i'm drinking the kool-aid i have in fact yeah i rushed home <laughs> to from crossfit right before i'm talking to you tonight and it's been really good for me to uh i just needed to get stronger you know i i run and so i i feel like my lower body strength is is much much better than my upper body and and it's been challenging, but it has been so, so fun to be involved in it. There's such a great little CrossFit community, you know, that totally. seems like that's not just my gym. It's, it's a family. That's a, a universal thing with CrossFit is yeah. become this family. That's yeah. It's, it's your box. You got to have it's your, your team and your box. That's what it is. And I mean, I've been doing it for eight years and oh, yeah. I've, I've loved it. Yeah. It's, and for me, it's like, you're never going to go to the, you're never going to, you're never going to go to the gym by yourself and do a hundred kipping pull-ups. You're never going to go and, and throw on a weighted vest and run a mile. Like yeah. you're never like every time I go there, like I like have to like drag myself there. Cause it's like, Oh, when they show that list on, when they show that workout on the board, it's going to be tough. It's less, but I would never do that by myself. No. So, you know, that's the thing, the team aspect and the, you can look at somebody next to you and you can look at another person and, it's just so motivating. Yeah, it is. I know my workout tonight was uh, was a double unders, kettlebell swings, and um, and burpees. And I'm telling you, I would never do that many burpees on absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and who would have thought to do double unders? Like I never thought of doing double unders until I did cross. I was like, what? I'm going to jump over this thing twice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. No. That's great. Oh my goodness. So I. Um, I would love to just hear, uh, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but there, I always like to look at, you called it the silver lining. I always like to look for those magical moments, uh, especially in this year of disruption. Like what has been your most magical moments uh, during this time? Yeah. Well, personally, my wife and I had a baby a month ago. Oh my so, goodness. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, so that's our third girl. So I'm a I'm a girl dad for life, which is awesome. So that's definitely my highlight uh, so far. And honestly, silver lining the fact that we've had this kind of this we have to kind of stay at home thing, and we're spending more time in our house. Um, you know, even before we had the baby, we just kind of really found like some really unique ways to spend time together. We were out walking more, um, you know, getting out into the trails near my house and just kind of going from walks with my kids and, and just, you know, really enjoying my neighborhood, enjoying my neighbors. And I I live in an awesome neighborhood and, and have some great people around that we probably wouldn't have spent as much time together around fire pits and outside and, you know, I don't have to clean up as much for people coming inside my house because they're staying outside my house. So that's like a, a bonus for my wife and I. So, yeah, I would say those things. I mean, other silver lining, the big thing for me was the book, like getting the book published and what this has done for me going forward, just kind of professionally and personally being able to meet all these amazing people and connect with such, uh, you know, such great minds across the, the world, honestly, has just been there's been so many silver linings, but those are just a few. Wow. That's awesome. And I am so excited for you that this book is going to be releasing in just a short amount of time. It's the most amazing feeling. I will tell you when that book gets released into the world, it's just, it's, it's amazing to, to I definitely choked up when I saw the cover the other day. So the cover got sent to me and I, I definitely pulled over on the side of the road and, oh. and choked up a little bit. Yeah. Oh. You know, it's cause it's like, you know what it is. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's something I've been saying I was going to do for so long and yeah. it's just, I've always wanted to do it. And I've always felt that like being an educator that I have you know, some knowledge to share that I think is helpful. And, and I don't just tell stories about, what's going on and what I do in my life. Like I use all these other stories and I, and I feel that that is also like helpful in helping educators and that, and every chapter there's something they can walk away with and they can do right there. I call them action steps for immediate implementation. So like right now you can finish this chapter and you can do something tomorrow. That is amazing. Well, I know I personally cannot wait to get it. So I, I can't wait till it comes out. And I would love for you to share with the listeners, how how can we find out when this book is released? Where can we buy it? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on on, on any social media, Twitter, Instagram, at Brandon Beck EDU. My website is BrandonBeckEDU.com. I try to keep it all the same. Um, so either of those are the, are the best way to keep in touch with me. Awesome. Well, I have enjoyed so much chatting with you tonight, and I uh, just wish you the best of luck in this this journey as an author. And uh, I'm excited that when these conferences go back, you know, live again, I, I can't wait to meet you in person someday. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a magical day, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Make Learning Magical podcast. I hope you were inspired by this episode and encouraged to find new ways to bring magic into teaching and learning. You can connect with me on Twitter at Tish Rich, Instagram at Tish Richmond, or on my website at tisharichmond.com. Please use the hashtag MLMagical to share thoughts about this episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and tune in next week for another magical episode.